Today is the 12th day of May in 2023, and we welcome you once again to our Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree, and I handle communications for Chapter 49, which for the most part is this podcast. We're happy that you have chosen to spend a little time with us today. It's always good to spend time with uh, Duncan Giles, our Chapter 49 president. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of feel like it's actually spring. You know, when you get to the middle of May, that's when in Indiana you tend to have fewer colder days. And in central Indiana, that seems to be the case. And we hope the weather is nice wherever people may be watching or listening. So uh, we, uh, we, we have a lot to talk about today. So we'll just jump right into what we have to say. We don't have any any big, like, breaking news, like, you know, discussions with the commissioner. By the way, have, have we heard from the commissioner on our offer to be on the podcast? Uh, he turned it over to the director of communications, who's known me and known of me for a long time. So I'm expecting a very rapid response on that that they're going to be eagerly awaiting, uh, you know, us to set it up for them. So your relationship with uh, the commissioner's staff is not always the best, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I don't know. Some of them, for whatever reason, some of them seem to think that I'm a little bit of a smart aleck. I don't understand that myself, where that, but, you know, where that it came, is what it is. Yeah, where that came from, I have no idea, right, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> I've only known you for several uh, it years. <laughs> Actually, the invitation was relayed. The commissioner uh, was very gracious in his response. And I do have a little bit of hope, okay. not much, but a little bit of hope that they will allow him to uh, join us on the podcast because I think it'd be good for everyone to uh, hear from him. Well, well, we'll wait for the uh, official response. We have none yet, but we just wanted to update people on that. Let's move into our subjects for the for this week. Uh, when I was a manager, um, I, I, I recall when I would talk to my other managers, every now and then the issue of self-assessments came up. Now, self-assessments have for employees and their their reviews, annual reviews, that's been in this uh, national agreement contract for a very long time. Uh, employees are entitled to time on the clock to sit down and write them, and they can be submitted to your manager for consideration when you're uh, – Evaluation time comes up. I know whenever I would submit one, the manager I had at the time appreciated that would incorporate some of my remarks into the annual appraisal narrative. So self-assessments have been around for a while, and I have always found that when I was a manager, uh, my sisters and brothers in the in the management frontline management uh, world uh, had various views of it. I always liked to get them, always read them carefully, and. Uh, took that into consideration every time I looked at their annual annual appraisal. I'm kind of curious, Duncan, where do you think uh, managers, employees uh, are right now? Are people using self-assessments? And if so, do you think management officials are taking them into consideration the way they should? Uh, to answer your second question first, I really don't think they do. You, you described how it should be done perfectly. You know, take a look at it. If need be, incorporate some of it. Um, but, you know, there's there's something that should be looked at. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the a lot of the managers who get these self-assessments put in that type of uh, that type of effort for whatever reason. There's a myriad of reasons that they may not. The thing that gets me is, you know, like you said, 
self-assessments are there in the agreement. You get time on the clock to do them. You just need to let management know in your last month of your rating period that you want to do a self-assessment so it can be submitted before your annual appraisal is done. Nobody knows the work that you do better than you do. You know, your manager may be taking a look. They may be into your cases, taking a look at this and that, but they don't know day in, day out the type of work that you're doing. Only you know that, and only you can describe that. And a self-assessment is a perfect vehicle to be able to do that to your critical job elements to help make sure your either score is raised or keep it at the level that it's at. You know, I have one question, and I really do uh... – just mostly we're, we're, our, our audience would be employees, uh, bargaining unit employees. Let's say, <clears throat> excuse me, you are a bargaining unit employee. You do submit your self-assessment, and your immediate manager chooses to ignore your self-assessment. What does the employee do? And that's part of the, uh, the great thing about it. One of the first things we do when we have employees come to us and say, uh, you know, I don't like my appraisal. I want to grieve it. Did you submit a self-assessment? The vast majority of the time, the answer is no. If the answer is yes, it makes our jobs a lot easier. Take a look at that. Take a look at the self-assessment. Take a look at the appraisal. Then you can go into the manager and, you know, basically try and solve it informally going, did you take a look at the self-assessment? Did you consider these points, A, B, and C, that the employee made? And many times we've had success if somebody has done a self-assessment where a manager said, I didn't look closely enough at that. Let me take another look at this. Then we'll go ahead and uh, raise it. If they don't want to do that, it really helps in the grievance process uh, to have every level of management know that the employee did what they could to make sure that their rating was a fair reflection on their work by doing the self-assessment. So that's why I urge everyone uh, to do a self-assessment. I just think it's the best thing you can do for yourself and your career. And, and one last question on this, and I think this is something that a lot of employees probably think about. All right, I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm preparing to write my self-assessment. How do I go about doing that? What do I include? How do I go about writing it? What advice would you give? There are a couple of guides out there, very good guides, on self-assessments, and basically you want to write it to your critical job elements. What do your critical job elements say? You go and you know look for examples of the work that you do consistently uh, for those job elements and list examples. So it doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be super lengthy. Like I said, there are guides out there that uh, can assist you with this on the IRS intranet. So you know, seek out those types of things. And they will really help you with your self-assessment. I think one thing that I, I would always advise people, and I'm curious what you think, uh, is I would say, you know, what you need to do for your self-assessment is make notes. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry about this. A little allergies here. Make notes to yourself throughout uh, your appraisal year. You know, what have I done that maybe the manager uh, didn't record or doesn't have a, a record of? What could I remind the manager of something that I have done. Uh, I think if you keep notes on that throughout your year, that, that makes your self-assessment a, a lot easier. 
That is excellent advice because you're the one that, you know, no manager is doing 100% a review on your cases, on your calls, on, you know, if you're in the service centers, on the work you're doing there. They're not doing 100% reviews. Only you know what you're doing day to day. So by doing that note-taking that you're able to refer to later on when you're doing your assessment, it makes it a heck of a lot easier for you. I got a funny story to, to before we we drop go to another subject because I remember a revenue officer uh, was you know always figuring out how to write up the report on his case when he would turn the case into his manager, and what he would do is he would look at his critical elements before he would do it, and he would address each one, and if it didn't apply, he would say this critical element did not apply in this case for the following reason, and I re- remember him telling me his manager came back to him and said, you know, I wish you wouldn't do that. Making his, her job harder to, to nick him. Exactly. On <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes exactly. that's not a bad idea. And then you can use that as kind of a guide, as you said, to your, to your self-assessment. So don't ignore self-assessments. They're extremely important and know, and you know, some employees don't even know when their appraisal period is over. So make a note of that when you're 30 days out, Start to work on that self-assessment and contact your manager about when you can schedule time to work on your self-assessment. Moving on, something that um, we uh, I became very familiar with when I was uh, working for the service, that's the VITA program. The VITA program is a volunteer tax program, excuse me, where volunteers go out and prepare tax returns for low-income and needy people. Uh, and sometimes just whoever walks in the door will just go ahead and do it uh, if uh, the return meets the guidelines set up uh, by the service because uh, there's some limited scope. You can't necessarily do an alternative minimum tax on a on a, on a, on a volunteer program. But uh, I, I think uh, it's called the VITA program. It's volunteer work. But there are ways where you can, as an employee, uh, go ahead and support the VITA program. And I have done instructions for VITA volunteers. That was one of the favorite things I ever did was doing instruction, uh, being an, an instructor for VITA volunteers. They're just such terrific people to volunteer their time. They come from a variety of backgrounds. But IRS employees can do this too. So talk about why that might be uh, in the employee's interest to do that. Yeah, it's something that um, you know I was reminded by a longtime employee who's very passionate about the VITA sites, uh, Kate McKnight, who we both know. And, you know, it's it's something that you don't really think about sometimes, which we should, because you get up to eight hours of administrative time per year to do these types of things, VITA sites. And, you know, you get training and things of that nature. And this is something that, you know, would never hurt when you're doing, you know, going back to our last topic, our self-assessment or, you know, putting on your resume if you're looking to move forward, you know, how much you're trying to do for the service. You're volunteering your own time, and it can be as much or as little as you choose. You know, uh, someone like, you know, if you're in the state of Indiana, someone like Kate McKnight can get you in with a group that can help you. If you are outside of the state of Indiana, then you can uh, contact uh, either contact Kate and she'll get to the right person, or you can contact your local folks who um, who do this type of work, and they'll be happy, more than happy, 
uh, the folks in spec to be able to get you to the proper people so you can get some training and can take that time to assist taxpayers. Because that's what we're all here to do one way or another for the service, either directly or indirectly. You know, we're not here to get rich. Nobody is here working for the IRS to get rich. We're all providing services to the taxpayer. And, you know, if you want to go that one step further, this is an awesome way to do it. And you get some time to do it as well. So wait a minute, we're not trying to get rich? Yeah, you know, for some reason, I, I just, I, I came into it thinking I could uh, become a millionaire. But, you know, I've never seen Regis Philbin around here saying, okay, is that your final answer? So I guess we're in here for the public service and not for the money. Yeah, my final answer is I'm never getting rich as a, a federal employee <laughs> or any really public service employee. Even our executives, if you look at what they make, I mean, they, they what they make is a small fraction of what executives in the private sector can make. So I think people, From the commissioner on down. Yeah, I mean, I, th I do think that you have to have some desire for public service, desire to be part of something bigger than yourself. That's always been the case. And through the VITA program, you could certainly do that. Yes, Kate McKnight is, 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 is a wonderful lady, uh, and uh, she will certainly set you up. If you'd like to help Vita, she'll make sure she, she finds a way for you to do that. And as I said, I I can think back. I traveled the state for a couple of years uh, doing Vita volunteer training classes. Uh, it's like a three- or four-day class. And the greatest joy I had meeting and talking to the people who are volunteers for, for that program, volunteering and donating their time. And you as an IRS employee can do that too. Okay, let's talk about something else, a little different uh, subject this time. There's always been, ever since I have been with the service, and uh, I won't say a dilemma, but certainly a discussion amongst managers at the high level and low level and uh, regular rank-and-file employees about how much time they spend on their work. Two good examples would be on the toll-free system where you and I worked. There's something called average handle time. Translated, that means how much time are you spending with each customer. You know, some don't take much time at all. You can give them a very quick, simple answer, and uh, they're on their way. Others can take a very long time. There could be very complex issues, and to get that customer taken care of, you may take more time to do that. So we have average handle time, how much time you're spending with each customer. And in places like examination, collections, and other parts of the service, you have what's called time on case. How much time are you spending on each case? And there's sometimes pressures for people who are working these cases, the rank and file employees, to just get it done and move on to the next one, even though you may have a complex case that needs to be developed. Now, as I recall, this is kind of the service has kind of gone back and forth in my career, going all the way back to 1983. I can remember hearing from agents and what were then called tax auditors at that time about the time pressures they had on on the cases they were working, and the average handle time didn't come till later when toll free became a much bigger operation. I'm curious about your thoughts. What what are your thoughts about where this, these issues stand right now? How much time? an employee needs to take to finish whatever particular jobs in front of that employee. Yeah, this is one of those things that can really tend to irritate me. And the reason it irritates me is, are the, is things 
going forward as they should. Uh, give you a couple of quick examples on average handle time. Average handle time was originally designed to be a forecasting tool, period, end of story, a forecasting tool so that analysts at a national level could figure out, okay, how many calls are we going to be able to take per individual? Then it rolled into, okay, well, now we need to roll it down to the person and you know, you, your average handle time is high. I could, as someone who really has studied this, average handle time, time on a case, you know, I could give a crap how long it takes. The important thing is, is a call being worked correctly? Is a case being done correctly? You know, if they are, if there's good conversation control in the phone call and they're taking care of it and they're doing it properly, they're not, you know, talking about 15 minutes on, you know, the, uh, you know, NFL draft, then, you know, there that's not a problem. The call is going to take what the call is going to take. If you're in a case, a lot of times there are things outside of your control. You give the uh, taxpayer or their representative deadlines and surprise, surprise, sometimes they don't meet those deadlines. I know we're all shocked. So it adds time on the case. You do what you need to do to, you know, further it along, whether you need to issue reports or, you know, do, um, do levies if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but you, you know, it, it's, it's just a, it should be just an indicator when you see these things, you know, it, if something's being worked properly, it's going to take what it's going to take. And if it's not being worked properly, then the manager should be addressing why it's not being done properly. Not the average handle time, not the time on case. It's like, what does the employee need? Do they need more training? Do they need more discussion on what they need to do to work a case or a call properly? That's what it should be showing. It should be an indicator. You know, the old saying, and I can't remember which commissioner came up with this, let's get behind the numbers. You know, and that, that goes back to possibly Rosati. So that would be the mid to late 90s, as long ago as that is. And that's something that we need to do instead of concentrating, okay, well, you know, this call is taking too long. Can we drop our average handle time to three seconds? Sure. I can get off the taxpayer and not do the proper things. And, you know, we'll be more than happy to cut down on the time. I can get out of this case really quickly. I'll just survey it or I'll just say, okay, they're currently not collectible. And boom, I'm in, I'm out. You know, if you want me to turn around and turn over the cases, I can, but that's not being worked properly. Those things aren't being done. And that's not a service to the taxpayer either that we just talked about. So, you know, for those managers who are using these as absolutes, they need to take a step back and their bosses, the executives that are looking at this, need to realize that it needs to be done properly. You know, use it as an indicator, see where there's an issue is, get behind the numbers and figure out how to help the individuals rather than just say, oh, your average handle time or your timeline case is just too long. You know, I, I have to go back and show my age a little bit here, but there was an airline commercial that goes back many years, and it was uh, about a group of uh, GIs that had uh, just were about ready to go on some uh, leave time, 
and they all crowded around a payphone, which already dates this commercial. So they're already <laughs> crowded around this payphone, probably 20, 30 GIs, and they all are trying to get home. And so this airline employee uh, gets the phone call from the first person, then they hand it off to the next. She talks to about 30 people and sets up their airline flights so they can all get home. So she gets off the phone call. Her manager walks by and says, okay, how many calls have you taken so far today? She goes, one. <laughs> That's getting behind the numbers, you know, because if you say one, how did you spend all this time on one? Well, I talked to 30 military members who were anxious to get home, and I arranged their flights. Okay, that's getting behind the numbers, and I think that's what you're talking about. That's a perfect example, and that's, a, that's an exactly. So if, you know, the managers are getting behind the numbers and having these discussions with the employees or listening to calls or reviewing the cases, then, you know, when they're asked by those above them, why is this person doing this or that? They're doing everything correctly. It's just happened to be a dog of a case or a tough call, a bunch of tough calls, things of that nature, complex issues. And, you know, they're, they're fine. I mean, that's how it should work. And if the average handle time goes up or time on case goes up, so be it as long as it's being worked properly. Do you, without naming specifics, do you think there are, uh are examples in the service today where management officials up and down the line maybe are not handling this whole issue very well? Yeah, some of it is not um, is not evil intent. It's just not really thinking like a uh, director in an accounts management site saying, okay, we're going to have a contest and the group that lowers their average handle time the most is going to be rewarded with you know a 15 minute admin coupon or something like that. Okay, basically you're sitting there saying, I don't really care, but we but quality is important. Okay, well you're just you just said that you want to lower the handle time, but quality is important. So you're not really caring about the quality because all you want is shorter phone calls. It's it sends bad messages. That's the key. It's it sends not only conflicting but bad messages to those types of things. So those are the types of stuff that we want to uh, try and avoid and we try and let management know this isn't the best way to do what they're intended. Only in a place like IRS toll-free would a 15-minute coupon to leave 15 minutes early at work would be considered a, a, a major reward. Yep, but it is. Uh <laughs> I just had to mention that, and that is true. Let's move on. Uh, we've talked about this before. We need to emphasize it again. It's been getting a lot of uh, general publicity, but it would have a specific impact on, on government employees, a very adverse impact, if the debt limit is not raised. We don't know for sure when that debt limit needs to be raised as far as a drop-dead date. We think it'll be in June, but that's kind of been a moving target. Could be July. Strangely enough, Duncan, one indicator we don't have yet is how many Estimated tax payments are going to come in as of that deadline. That will actually have an impact on how much time we have left on the debt limit. NTU National is is strongly suggesting that our members and anyone you know that may be interested should immediately send a message to both senators and your member of Congress about this. Explain why this is so important. Yeah, this is one of those things that, again, you know, we've we've talked about the debt ceiling ad nauseum. I understand if people are sick of hearing about it. We're not happy talking about it because there shouldn't be an issue. 
This, again, is for bills that have been passed in the past. This is not talking about current things. So we need to pay the bills that we've passed. And by doing this, by hanging it up, you know, are we hit the debt ceiling? Are we going to be shut down? Are they going to call us into work and not pay us until later? How long is that going to be? What's going to happen to the government? What's going to happen to interest rates? You know, they're estimating Moody's, a analytical firm, has estimated that if there is a default, that could literally cost 1.8 million jobs in the United States. That's insane that we're playing chicken with those kind of numbers. So what we're um, hoping that you'll do is, you know, for those of you out there seeing this, you know, contact your congressperson, contact your senator. Uh, it's very easy to do if you're an NTU member. You go off of the NTU website on your own time, on your own equipment. You can do it off your phone. And you can, uh, you know, they have pre-programmed letters that you can change and edit to your satisfaction to let them know that you want to get this settled. And, you know, because this could have a direct impact on your pocketbook, directly and indirectly. And we don't want to see that for anybody. So that's why we're continually harping on this and letting you know what the possible impact is. Just a quick note about how important this is. Back in 2011, it's the last time there was a close call on a debt limit. It finally was raised at the last minute. But because of that being the last minute thing, S&P, the Standard & Poor, lowered the credit rating of the federal government, something that no one ever thought would happen. That was 2011. We're in 2023. S&P has not raised that rating ever since because of this political impasse we're in. So there, we pay a price for some of these political arguments that we have. Quickly, uh, NTU does have a contract with a group called Becker Professional Cert Cert Certifications. They, they uh, give you a CPE continuing education to get certifications. Explain how NTEU members can take advantage of this contract. Yeah, this is one of those things. There are many uh, folks that we have that are CPAs that need to have uh, continuing education each year to keep up their uh, CPA license. And Becker is one of those that will have these programs that you can get a discount for uh, to continue your CPE. But they also have many other certifications. Um, you know, and when we send this podcast out, I'm going to be sending out uh, the information from Becker. So if somebody wants to take a look at this, they can and figure out okay, this might be something that could help me. I could use a discount on this or, um, you know, this might be of interest to me to get a certification in this particular program. They're, they've really varied it over the last several years into what different things that they're taking a dive into. So I think it's something that uh, is worthwhile for employees that are looking for things like this. So in the past, Becker has always been known as uh, getting continuing professional education for revenue agents or CPAs, but what you're saying is there are more certifications out there, and, and NTU is offering a discount if you wish to do that, and you'll be sending more information out with details. Okay, That Duncan. is correct. Okay, Duncan, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, my, my final is, you know, I'm one of those, again, you've heard me talk about work-life things. Um, you know, I did something last night, uh, you know, for my partner and just to see the look on her face when I told her what I had done. Um, and you know, it's something that she's been a fan of, but never have gone to 
uh, this particular thing in person, uh, you know, the look on her face was just priceless because she was going, I was over there just smiling away and smirking and getting out my credit card and paying for something. And she's just like, what are you doing over there? What are you doing? And so when I finally told her, she, you know, it was just like, wow, that is just so awesome. So, you know, my thing is the people that are in your life that you love, treat them well, do things for them. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can be little things. But, you know, if you're doing these types of things for them, it shows how much they're appreciated, how much they're loved, and everybody needs that. So that that would be my thought for this week. Yeah, I'll just say quickly that uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. And all I can say is she deserves an award just for putting up with me for 32 years. That's what I'll say about that. Uh, My final comment, though, really has to do with retirees. I am a retiree, have been for about 11 years. And when I retired, you know, as a manager, I was about six years as a manager at the end of my 28-year federal employee career. And I went back and said, you know, I'd be more than happy to come back and do some work. I know there are adjustments on my uh, annuity that have to be made, but I would still be willing to come in, do some work, even though in, in the end I wouldn't be making that much, just to kind of mentor new managers, you know, do do some help there and the answer came back as well we love to do that but sorry we don't have any money we just can't afford to do it so thanks but no thanks i've seen a lot written recently and this is not just irs but the entire federal workforce and a group of retirees that there has been a, a new push to say hey we have a lot of expertise and talent out there right now with people who are retired I always give the example of my father. My father worked for the Defense Department for about 40 years. It was most of his working life. And he had a pretty stressful, difficult job with the Department of Defense. When he retired, a much younger lady took over her job. After having it for six months, and this is no lie, this actually happened. She, This poor woman had a nervous breakdown. She, she really couldn't handle the job. The job had so much pressure on it. And they came back to my dad saying, well, you think you might want to come back part-time? So he looked at it and said, well, I'll come in about four hours a day, but don't put any pressure on me. I'll be glad to help. I'll be glad to do this, but I'm not going to deal with all this pressure. And that lasted for about two years. He just worked like four hours in the mornings, had the afternoons to himself. And I think he made quite a contribution to the Department of Defense with his expertise. Now, about two years of doing it, the pressure started coming on. He said, thanks, but no thanks. And he walked out. I do think that retirees have a lot to offer, and I would hope now that the service uh, has a a budget where they can work on programs like this, not necessarily for myself, I'm kind of too far away from it now, but I'm hoping that uh, all the people who are set to retire, and there are many of them who have just retired, might be tapped to uh, do some good work. That could be in the bargaining unit, that could be in management. Uh, So, Duncan, do you think there's possibly something there? I would hope so, because I think that that's, you know, people who have a lot of experience are a wonderful resource. Uh, the phased retirement program that's out there that basically says, okay, in your last couple of years, you know, if you want to do this, you can, uh, you know, and then basically your thing is you're going to be mentoring people. So that's what it's for, has been grossly underutilized. It's It's been darn near criminal. Well, and you- because the people like, like yourself and, you know, others who have the experience can help people. You know, like the, your dad's coming back and, you know, your dad said, yeah, I can help out. No, we don't need you. We don't have the budget for it. 
okay, you know, and then you have a nervous breakdown with somebody who's, you know, it's like, I can't believe this person did the job. Well, and I think that uh, what I would say is is that retirees have have the potential to, to, to contribute more than people think off, off the top of their head. So thanks for that comment. And you just heard Duncan Giles, chapter president for NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'll repeat what I said earlier in the podcast. Uh, We very much appreciate the fact that you have taken time to spend some time with us. Uh, We've seen our numbers have grown in, 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 in recent weeks and months. There are people watching and listening all around the country, and yeah, a handful around the world. I'm not sure what they get out of this, but we're happy to have them. But we, we do want to let you know that you can always contact Duncan Giles with any kind of comment or question you might have. Just go to our email address, nteu49 at aol.com. And you can also request that Duncan be put, put you on a list for every time we have a new podcast. He sends out an email with a link both to our audio and video podcast, whichever one you might choose to deal with. So, again, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And please be safe and be kind. <laughs>